Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. I am your host, Penny Lubinsky. We're back for another episode, this time with George Roberts. Um, George is actually the sponsor of Horizon Multifamily. He is a founder of Walnut Grove Homes. He has GP, JV, and LP experience within real estate. Uh, George, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Penny. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to get you on the show. Um, George, why don't you walk us through a little bit more about like your background? Um, you, what did you do before real estate? What kind of got you into real estate? And like, wh wh where are you at right now? My first career was bioscience. I got my PhD, did postdoctoral research, uh, did many different fields, including network science, uh, which I just love because now I feel like uh, it's all about networking in this field and a uh, little bit of a throwback. I had been a landlord for a long time since the depths of the Great Recession. And uh, it's kind of different being a single family landlord. A lot of people say that it's kind of like a job as opposed to a business. And that's kind of what I found it to be as well. But uh, later on, when I decided that entrepreneurship was the way I wanted to go in my life, I was drawn immediately to multifamily because, again, it has that feeling of that you're really buying into an existing operating business as opposed to just simply giving yourself another job. I didn't need another job, right? Bioscience kept me very, very busy. And then I went into data science. I became an award-winning data scientist after that and definitely uh, didn't need to be any busier than I already was. So multifamily seemed to make a lot of sense. People said that you can do this passively, uh, which you can, but even the active side is more passive than having a unit here and a unit there. Yeah, and that makes sense because um, on a single family purchase, uh, generally speaking, it's too small to involve, you know, many partners and different, you know, different roles that, that are needed in order to take down and run the deal. But on the multifamily side, typically, um, even if you're on the active side, you're still going to be having, dealing with partners, um, in order to take down the deal, because it, it, under most circumstances, there isn't like just one person that can, you know, do these kind of things on their own. Um, you touched on um, the networking aspect and, and the power of that. I know you're definitely a, a huge networker and I see you, you know, all over the place at, at tons of, you know, these networking events, at least most of the virtual events. I know you've been to a bunch of live events. Um, can you touch on that a little bit? You know, why is that so important and, and how do how do we do that right? I feel like there's, you know, there, there's a right way to network and build relationships. Wow, um, so let me see if I can define the right way uh, if, if I know it. What I would say is that for me, I noticed that on my team was nobody who seemed to be terribly interested in raising capital. So I figured, well, you know what? This is gonna have to be my role. So even though I felt like maybe I'm the numbers guy and it's really easy for me to be introverted, I also love people, so I just grew right into it. Now, for me, the best way to do it the right way was just to go at it in a multi-channel 
uh, fashion. So you see me all uh, over the place for a reason, because I don't know where I'm going to meet the person who's going to invest in my next deal, who's going to partner with me in the next deal, who's going to help me close the next deal. So I've got my uh, Wednesday noon Eastern Zoom networking. I've got a podcast. I go on podcasts. Um, I do other shows and things like that. Uh, I try to show up to other people's networking events. I've got my own in-person networking. And I also make points of going to other people's. For me, it's a little harder to get to conferences because I think the hot conferences tend to be in the South. I live in Michigan. So I just go nuts with the meetups around my home. And I even drive. Like I'll drive an hour or 90 minutes to get to a good meetup. Right. No, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I guess a, a follow-up question I would have is like, are you kind of expecting to get investors more from the meetups or is it more like when you go to the meetups, you establish this like credibility that like everyone just understands that like you are an authority now in this space because you host meetups and you, you go to, you go to events and you speak on, on, on podcasts and conferences. So is, is it more of like just establishing yourself as an authority or is it more trying to go there to find investors or potential partners? Yeah, so it's really both. And I got that question point blank at my in-person a couple of days ago. Why are you even doing this if you invest in the South? So yes, I am looking for passive investors as well, but I would like to invest in Michigan. I mean, it would be ideal. I have invested in Michigan. I got a single family now. I had a single family rental before that. I'm doing construction in Michigan. I'm not running that actively, but, uh, you know, again, it's, uh, there, I mean, there's always the concern that we're going to have uh, rent control. There's always some talk of that, but, uh, but I'd love to do it. So I am actually looking to find partners in Michigan that I can do deals with in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So if there's anyone listening to this podcast that happens to be in Michigan, look and uh, join up and joint venture with, uh, with George, reach out to him at the end. You'll, you'll get his contact info. Yeah, I'm but, actually um, in Ohio too, by the way. Yeah. Next week, I'll probably go out and look at a property uh, in Cleveland. I, I'm not really terribly hot on the Cleveland market, but uh, I think a lot of people need to, to understand the Midwest. Don't write it off because there are a lot of cities like Columbus that are attracting population. So who cares what's happening to Ohio in general? Uh, look for those markets that are growing and hopefully find one that's that's near you. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, that, that's great. And I, I feel like, you know, a lot of people that are in New York, so to speak, or some of these like bigger, bigger cities that that have like rent control, they kind of feel like there's not much, um, there, there isn't really that much inventory or there's not that many great markets around them to choose from. But I forgot where I heard this, but I heard this recently from somebody that like, if somebody's willing to drive, say an hour or sometimes up to two hours, um, you can almost reach a good market or a, any good market in the U.S., um, not, not specifically any, but there are, there's usually a good market around you within two hour, within a, like a two hour drive. Um, we, would you tend to agree with that? That if somebody really wants to, they don't need to go to the Southeast. They don't need to go to Dallas and Houston and Austin. Like they could probably find something more local if they open. Yeah, absolutely. So to use my Michigan experience, you just drive a little West of where I am. Uh, you can find a lot of counties that are growing. Uh, and even there's a sort of a band I would say it's maybe two thirds or three quarters of the way down from the north-south axis across Michigan that goes all the way out 
to Grand Rapids and to Lake Michigan, where all of those counties, they're all gaining population. So absolutely. Got that. And um, all right, question for you is, you, you've done joint ventures, um, you've been, you know, sponsor, GP, and you've done LP as far as uh, on the investment side. Um, is, is there any sort of like, is there any direction that you're headed mostly in now? Or is there any like favorite to you? Or is it just more like whatever comes up at the moment kind of thing? Right? Well, I'm not big enough yet that I have to say no to something that's outside of my markets. At some point, I may be too stretched out. But I am happy to consider new markets. Now, just to bring back the idea of should you invest in your backyard or go for one of the hotter markets, uh, I have the great, great uh, benefit of having two amazing partners in two great markets. So one of our partners from Michigan actually moved to Orlando and one moved to East Tennessee, or I'm sorry, he, he's from East Tennessee for the last 20 years. But uh, that really makes it possible for me to invest uh, in some of these hotter markets. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And then as far as like JV versus GP and LP, is there, is there like a favorite for you or is it just like yeah. whatever, whatever comes up? I'm, I'm a kind of all the above sort of guy. So I love being an LP because I can invest in anything. I'm even an LP in a private equity deal right now. And I'm not going to run something like that, right? <laughs> There's too many regulations. It's way right. harder than our field. Um, I, I love uh, being a syndicator, I think that's really exciting. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity there. I mean, you can grow really fast. You, if you have the ability, you don't even need capital to grow in this business, and that's amazing. But I also like being a JV, and I feel like if I just put all of my chips into a few apartments with the, a few partners that I trust, I mean, I have no doubt that I could just be set. So at some point, maybe I move more towards being uh, in joint ventures, and it may be some point I just move entirely to being a limited partner, but it's hard to say. I mean, it's easy to say that, oh yeah, someday I'll just be a limited partner and just travel the world. But I know my type A personality and I may not actually let that happen. No, I, I appreciate that. And, and what's interesting is like, I, I struggled in the beginning with this concept of how do I scale beyond like the, fi the financial capacity that I have? So if I have X amount to invest in real estate, I'll invest that amount, right? And then after that, like I'm stuck. I hit like a brick wall. It's like, how do I get into further deals? And that was something I was, you know, for, for the first little bit, I was like scratching my head. I couldn't really get around that. I couldn't really figure out how to do that. And then I realized that there's this thing called syndication. And, you know, with smaller JVs or LPs, I mean, pretty much for the most part, like you like it's almost like based on how much money you have is how is how much of the deal you get but with with syndications typically and this is you know very very normal is even if you don't necessarily have a lot of money or, or a lot of your own money to invest in the deal there's still ways for you to get into the deal um, by adding value to the team or to the people involved in the deal and that doesn't necessarily have to be with your own money and your own capital. So that's definitely, as you just mentioned, it's a great way to really scale. Um, and as long as like, I feel like someone figures out ways to just continuously add value to team after team and, and deal after deal, they can really get into a nice amount of deals on the syndication side without even investing their own money. It sounds almost too good to be true, but 
it really is true. Um, but back to the other point that I wanted to make was that I personally, like my favorite would probably be like JVs only because typically like syndications, you're dealing with investors and the investors have very specific returns, you know, that they're looking for and they're, they're trained to think a certain way. And generally in order to get them those returns, there has to be like a exit strategy within the next three to five years for the most part. Um, but for, but in my opinion, like real estate, the reason why I got into real estate is for financial freedom and it's to create like long-term wealth and cash flow and all that stuff. And I just find with a JV, even though it may be like a smaller deal, you can structure it so um, so that you don't necessarily have to exit the deal in three years or five years. You can decide to hold it for life if you and your partner or two partners agree to do so. So that's, that's I mean, I like syndications and I'm, you know, definitely getting into them, but um, I definitely, there's a special place in my heart for joint ventures because that's really aligns most with like really what I'm trying to accomplish, like as far as like long-term goals. Yeah, that's really amazing. And I like that because I think that uh, joint ventures, they don't get enough love and maybe they're not as exciting as syndication. Exactly. Uh, or maybe it's just harder to sell a course about joint ventures. Yeah. Uh, so that could be another reason too that we hear so much about syndication. But my property in Orlando is a real case study in that. I mean, when we tore into the walls, we had to, we had some water damage. Uh, and, you know, next thing you know, we're finding out that we got like different gauges of wire nutted together. So at that point, it became a moral issue to literally uh, replace all the wiring in place because we didn't know um, what we were dealing with. And it's it's crazy, you know, the, and, and we, we talked to all of our tenants, asked them, you know, what are the problems with this place? Nobody mentioned that, oh, yeah, I have only one outlet and I'm running the entire place off of a power strip. And that happened to be the last one that we went into and tore other stuff. Actually, there's one other. So uh, maybe I'm dramatizing a little bit, but it's just crazy. So after we went through that, it's like, well, if this was a syndication, first of all, uh, there, there's another moral end to it. It's like you got these investors and you told them that things were gonna be one way. And now you're telling them that it's gonna be a completely different way. And you told them that their money was going to come out in, in a certain number of years. And now you're telling them that, you know, we really have to hold on for uh, an extended period of time. But because that was a joint venture, that was no problem to us. We just got together. Uh, we were all in favor of doing the right thing. But now that we have a property where we expect that our expenses are going to be extraordinarily low. And I know what people do, uh, what I would call like a beginner underwriter, when they see something like, oh, your, your expenses are like 30 or 35%, forget this. I'm not going to buy this. You, you're lying to me, right? And so we, we think we might have a hard time getting the full value out for selling. So it's perfect. We're all happy holding and we can do that. And we don't have any outside investors that we have to explain why the plan changed. Right. And I think that's really the beauty of it because it just, it allows you to be more spontaneous. It's like, Hey, if you have a couple of people that all of you have the same, you don't exactly have to agree about every decision about the property, but if you have the, all have the general 
concept, uh, the, the general mindset of we want this property to build wealth for us down the road. So whatever that takes to get us there, like that's fine. Then the JV is a great, great tool. And if people are able to get into them, generally speaking, there'll be smaller deals than the syndications will be, but that's fine. Like that's, you know, like that's, they're, they're you know, it's less exciting to talk about them on social media, but they almost work just the same. And sometimes like the profits on these smaller deals can end up being more than the profits on the larger deals, generally speaking, because if you're doing a larger deal, you're probably going to get a smaller piece of the pie. If you're doing a, a smaller deal, you'll probably get a bigger piece of the pie and um, you can end up, you know, benefiting in a huge way from that. So yeah, definitely a lot of, a lot of love uh, in, in my heart for, for, for joint ventures. That's for sure. Um, can we can we talk about one deal deep dive? Do you have like any deal in mind that you want to just like get into a little bit deeper? Uh, you know what the story was, how you created value, and like just how that like kind of turned out. Yeah, sure. Since we went pretty deep into that first deal of mine, the joint venture, uh, maybe I'll go into my first general partner deal. This was in East Tennessee, so I had a great partner out there, as I mentioned earlier, Tom Kirkpatrick. Uh, he was looking at this for many years. Uh, he had bought an apartment along the way, but he was really playing the long game with this. He met the property manager slash uh, handyman and said, you know, hey, if the seller is ever willing to deal, give me a call. Call back a couple of times after the second no. He got the inbound call saying, hey, they're ready to deal. And, and this is an amazing deal because it gave us the opportunity uh, to, 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 to understand exactly what it's like to take over a mom and pop deal. So that other thing that was a little bit of, maybe uh, uh, it's like a slumlord situation, but mom and pops are different, right? They care about their tenants. Like there's nothing dangerous going on at this place, but there was carpet everywhere. In some places, in one unit, there was carpet like even up to the commodes. Now I should say that they, they did have some uh, hard flooring, I think in the kitchen and dining room area, but you know, it was, it, was, it was a total mom and pop from one end to the other. So the design decisions of having things like carpet, all the way to not raising the rents. And a lot of times, you know, you see things like uh, month to month. I love that. You show me a place that has 100% occupancy, uh, you got month to month leases, and it looks like the rents are under market, they probably are. So uh, in terms of a deep dive, I mean, if you're willing to do the work, build relationships, play the long game. And, and remember, you can also, you can play the short game elsewhere, right? If you're willing to play the long game on some of these things uh, and build those relationships, it's amazing what you can find. So, so we actually validated that we could raise the rents $250 during our due diligence. We put out a Facebook marketplace ad, didn't cost us a penny. And people are looking at those old pictures. They see the square footage and they say like, sure, we'll give you 900 for that. And boom, at that point, you know, we still did all the due diligence, but we knew we had something. I mean, when you can raise the rents 38% out of the box, you got yourself a winner. And when we add on to that, the fact that we're going to add operational efficiencies, we're looking for new streams of income and the mom pause, you know, they never let you have pets. So that's another great thing. You know, we're going to put that pet rent in, no rubs. And it's just amazing all the low hanging fruit when you get a deal like that. So I would say that this is like the quintessential mom, mom and pop deal. And it's in East Tennessee. So it's, it's entirely the land of Jake and Gino. So the Ma and Pa deal from the land of Ma and Pa. 
I love that. And um, basically, it sounds like this deal had a really great story. And that's something I tell all my investors. I'm like, always look out for a story. Like, what is the story? It's not just about the numbers. It's also about the story. Like, real estate is a very logical uh, kind of game. And it's very easy to understand, like, what is going on here in this property? Like, why is it? Why are the rents below market now? Why do we feel confident that we're going to get them up? Oh, we're going to raise it to market rents. Okay, where are the comps, right? How do we know? How do we verify this? And it's just, it's very easy to understand um, when you actually get into the story. And it sounds like this was a, a phenomenal story of a mom and pop wasn't, they weren't extremely efficient. They weren't really, um, you know, taking advantage of, of the full market rents or, you know, all the property management uh, strategies or whatever, whatever it may have been. And that for you was a tremendous opportunity to come in and, and snatch that thing and really just bring it up to market. Um, I also love the idea of, I've actually never heard that before, but I love the idea of testing out on, you know, Facebook marketplace or the ads over there, uh, testing out the rents and just confirming during due diligence, um, you know, that your projections are actually realistic and, and going to be able to happen. So that, that's just an amazing way of just, really like establishing that like confidence during due diligence that hey we're in a good property and we're going to do well with this thing and, and we're confirming it even before we actually you know buy the thing so i love i, I like to give credit where credit is due so that was kim scully she put that out so kim scully put that out for like 24 hours it's like oh yeah we got enough responses we're that's done. great Hold i love that i love that i love that i've actually i've never heard of that before but it's it's yeah. a great idea i'm gonna start doing yeah. that too <laughs> um uh let me ask you a question how long did it take you to get into your first deal like from when you started educating yourself about real estate like what did that journey kind of look like from that point till you closed on the first deal yeah yeah great question so so i started like 2010 and i didn't educate myself i was the mon paw and i was busy in bioscience so then uh, I, I guess I would say I educated myself in entrepreneurship, maybe about 2016. That's when I helped to launch the construction company that my sister and brother-in-law are now running. But uh, it was probably more like 2018. I got really excited in single family and people say, many people say like, stay away from multifamily. It's advanced and it is by the way, but, uh, but you don't have to be frightened because as you pointed out, it's a team sport and you're not gonna do the whole thing. Uh, anybody who does it from one end to the other, I think you're nuts. Yeah, no. So I, I actually just, just by the way, I did hear recently someone was telling me that their dad actually does entire syndications himself, like literally nobody else. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, like I hope he's seen, but that sounds like a lot to 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 you know to take on. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Um, yeah, I just got to shake my head for those of you listening to the MP3. Yeah, totally nuts. But I want to say it was around 2019. That's when I really got the concept of multifamily. I'd heard about it. I've heard how good it could be, but I really got it. I went to a local meetup and, you know, it just, boom, it just really clicked. And so then I was not like George Roberts cash buyer, not George Roberts. I'll come in and I'll fund your deal. Uh, I'll be your hard money lender. It's like, forget it. I'm done with that. It's going to be multifamily or bust. And I met uh, one of my partners from Horizon Multi uh, Family, Paul Prokop, at that 
meeting. And we actually currently run that. That's the MFI on Detroit meeting. So it's pretty cool to come full circle. So to answer your question, I want to say that was early 2019. And then um, by, you know what? It might've been 2020. Yeah, you know what? Because it was just before everything got shut down. Yeah, that was 2020. So by August, we'd already closed our first deal. So I got really lucky. I got in with some people who had been underwriting for a while. They knew what they were doing. They helped to teach me, to bring me along. And so, gosh, I got to say that it was really about eight months from start to my first close. Okay. All right. Yeah. And that's, and, and that would be considered, you know, in this space, uh, kind of quick, like that's a, that's a, that's a fast timeline. So just giving the listeners a little bit of an idea of, you know, how these things, even under the best circumstances, um, take some time and it, you, you got to educate yourself. You got to take some time to, you know, uh, learn the ropes and build those relationships, learn whatever whatever skills that you are going to be learning in order to be adding value to the teams around you. Um, you know, that it, it just takes a little bit of time in order to get into the first one. So yeah, eight months under the best circumstances, sometimes many, you know, a lot longer than that. But yeah, good for you. You got in pretty, pretty easy, pretty quick. Um, yeah. All right. Let's let's move on to the final four here. This is more like rapid question answer type. Um, what is your why? I want to build a legacy for my children and for my community. Beautiful. Love that. Um, what is your favorite book? Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, because he'll point out to you that money is not the most important thing. And I think he puts it maybe like number nine on his list of 12, but it still is a book that will teach you what you need to do. But hoping that you along the way uh, develop more spiritually as well. I love that. Is that a book you've read, you've read once or more than once? I read all my books more than once. Uh, <laughs> partly, I think that if a book's worth reading, it's worth reading a few times, but also because I'm a huge audiobook fan. So I'm going to read these things while I'm running. I'm going to read these while I'm doing chores around the house or driving. I don't catch everything the first time. So I listen to many of my books five times or more. Yeah, that's great. You know, I realized that as well. Like I realized that I was reading books for the past couple of years. And then it, like, if I would think back towards like a book, like I could a lot of times like not even remember like one concept out of the book. And I'm like, holy cow, like I literally just like spent so much time reading it. I can't remember a single thing because I was reading a lot. I was just going from one to the next. And I think like any book, like, so I came to that realization that books really do need repeating if you want to actually like retain some of the, some of the information in them. So yeah, I started, I started, I don't know if I have ever read a book five times, but definitely like the good ones I try to do like two or three, but well, yeah. The Intelligent Investor, that's one that I read in print at least five times. It's very complicated. I, it's, it's difficult in the way he lays the material out, but it's so amazing. I mean, it's so good that I don't think anybody ever sort of rewrote that book. Like there are people who have sort of rewritten Think and Grow Rich. There are people who have taken all of these, these famous books and they give digests, et cetera. But wow, that intelligent investor is another one. But if you don't mind, I'll, I'll just jump in with a, a quick uh, tip I have. I mean, if you summarize something like on YouTube, I do that. And I also have something I call Entrepreneurial Minute that I put out every Friday on LinkedIn. And I tell you, that really forces you to get in the discipline of like, what are the top five concepts from this? And I just did that last week with Jake and Gino's Honeybee. And I'm thinking like, what the heck? I read this three months ago. 
why do I need why do I need to go back through the chapter list to figure out what the book's all about? But uh, but again, yeah, being a teacher is the best way to learn. Yeah, no, love that. Absolutely love that. Um, what advice would you give somebody that is looking to get started in real estate today? So you have to network and you have to figure out where you're going to fit in in the scene. So even if you're going to do single family, that's fine. But, you know, are you going to be the hard money lender? Are you going to be the one uh, who actually does the rehabs, the fix and flips? Do you want to buy and hold? So you really have to educate yourself. I know you've mentioned that already today, but don't don't give that the short shrift. Uh, there's literally no other way. I hate the gurus who say, do a deal, do a deal, just do a deal, because you know, they're not the ones who are going to be there to help pick up the pieces if you do something wrong. So take the time to educate yourself, look for good deals. And when you find the deal, don't be too proud. Show it to somebody, find somebody you respect, get a second set of eyes and make sure that you're not about to do something rash uh, where there might be something that may be more or less obvious that you just didn't see because there are so many things to see on any deal. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I love, I really love that advice. Um, and, you know, it's something that I did actually in the beginning. It was like every deal that I thought penciled out, like I just wouldn't trust my own intuition because I thought to myself, like I'm new to this and I just don't know what I don't know. And I could look at it and think to myself like, oh, everything looks great. This looks like a home run deal. But because I'm inexperienced, like, there could very possibly be things in the deal that I'm just not noticing. So what I would do is, and like, I, I guess like maybe I would just give this advice to the newer listeners that are just getting started underwriting their first few deals. Like if you think something pencils out, like before going and, and submitting an offer and, and going ahead and closing on it, like maybe just bring it to somebody more experienced, um, you know, ask them if maybe they'll partner with you or maybe they'll sign sign on the loan with you or whatever it may be, or, or, or even just look over your underwriting, look over your assumptions just to make sure that you're in the right ballpark at least. Um, yeah. Uh, George, what, what would your favorite hobby be? My favorite hobby currently is sailing. It's the one hobby I haven't given up. Uh, I love going out on the boat. It's beautiful to just uh, find that wonderful location. There's so many along Lake Erie. They're just kind of sleepy, uh, fun. The islands, just a place where I can kick back. And once I even uh, spent a week working from Putin Bay Island. So if you're not from the Midwest, you may not have heard of it, but it's a great little place and a lot of fun. So that's the one thing I'll never give up. I, I, I do still want to go back to gilding at some point, but that is so labor intensive that I had to go when multifamily came in my life. Okay, nice. So, so you definitely, you made some compromises. Um, and yeah. I just, yeah, I feel like that's pretty like standard. Like it, it's hard to just like take on a new obsession and not like drop something else. That's what I find. Like, but, but yeah. it's cool that you were still able to hold on to uh, sailing as, as a good, you know, nice hobby. Do, how often do you get to go? Oh, well, it depends on how often the family wants to come, but I like to go. The plan is to go every weekend and then take a long sail. I'd really like to get out to Buffalo. And every year there's something that happens and we got to turn around. But I feel like maybe this year, and you know, lately it's been just that the kids are growing. The kids are growing, and, and now it's like, what the heck? We got a 25-foot sailboat. It was tiny when the kids were like eight and nine or seven and eight. I'd have to add it up. But now this thing is just, it's unbelievable how small it is. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. Um, all right. Where, where would someone be able to reach you? 
Best place is LinkedIn. Reach out through LinkedIn, send me a message. Anybody who's interested in my work, I'd be very happy to reciprocate and accept that connection request. Excellent. Well, George, thank you very much. This has been a great conversation. I appreciate you joining the podcast and um, yeah, hope to see you around. Thank you so much, Penny. I appreciate your podcast and it's been an honor to be on your show. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast with Penny Lubinsky. For more free, valuable content, visit plcapitalventures.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a review and rating on iTunes and subscribe to our channel. This helps the podcast grow and get noticed. See you next time.